I really believe that God wants to communicate something very special. So I want to say one more word of prayer and just ask that our hearts and minds would be open to the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for your grace. And Lord, the reason why sinners like us can come into your presence is because of grace. Thank you that your throne is a throne of grace. And Jesus, we come seeking for grace, that you would bless us. God, these are very dangerous times that we're living in, very unusual times, times of confusion. And Lord, we need your guidance. You are the true pastor of the Series SDA Church. You're the true guider and protector of our people. Father in heaven, please instruct us in your word and reveal to us more closely your will for each and every person. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when you study the Bible, what you will discover is that the Bible is a love story. Can you say amen to that? You know, many times people look at love as sort of this trivial things, and trivial thing, and you'll see many different versions of what love actually is. You go out to the movies, or you watch television, or read books, and you'll get these sort of variant forms of what love is. And people use that word trivially, uh, not trivially, <laughs> in a trivial manner, and uh, they toss around that word like it's really nothing. But it's interesting, when you read the scripture, love is epitomized in a very special verse, and the Bible says, God is love. Out of all the descriptions that are given about God, the Bible's most powerful description about God is 1 John, where it says, God is love. So if we wanted to find out what genuine, legitimate, holy love looks like, we don't need to go to some movie. We can go straight to the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? And we're actually going to be looking at a very interesting love story in the Bible. What you'll find in the scripture is that the Bible is full of different books. And each one of these book, books are a love letter from God to his people. And so we're going to be taking a good look at a very interesting love story in the scriptures. And we're going to be turning to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Now I've read Ruth in the past. I thought that it's a very wonderful story. But as I began to study the book of Ruth... This week, I was blown away by God's love for his people and the pictures that are painted there. And I really believe that God's going to communicate a very special message to each and every person. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Can you say amen to that? So let's turn to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to the book of Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to see the context of the book of Ruth and we'll launch off from there, okay? So Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So the book of Ruth, or the story of Ruth, took place during what time period? The book of Judges, right? And do you remember there were about two verses that appeared through the book of Judges over and over again, which gives you a context of what was taking place during Ruth's time. The Bible says in the book of Judges, there was no king in those days. In other words, there wasn't a government in Israel during those days. Israel was very split. The second thing you'll find out in the book of Judges, the Bible says every man did was right in his own eyes. You find out that uh, morality became very relative. People uh, designed their own morality. They lived out their own morality. And there was so much chaos during the time of Judges. 
God began to raise up men and women, that's right, I said men and women, very special people to do a mighty work for God. Can you say amen to that? And so the story of Ruth takes place sort of during this division uh, in Israel's history, a time where Israel was in anarchy, a time in it, Israel's history where there really wasn't so much an overseeing government, and Israel was spreading out and fragmenting into this place and to this place and to this place. And sure enough, the pure worship of God was lost. So let's start off with Ruth chapter 1 again, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malal and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. So there we see a family, because of famine, decided to transport. Uh, sort of uh, migrate all the way to another area, the country or the area of Moab. They were realizing that the economy wasn't very good in Israel, so they said, let's go to Moab. There's a famine over there, but when we go to Moab, we'll be able to be well taken care of. There's a lot of resources there. So this family does something very interesting. They pick up all their goods, and they just migrate to Moab. Let's keep going. And then they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Verse 3, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Verse 4, then they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was what? Ruth, and dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her what? Husband. Now you see the story of Naomi. This is a very interesting situation that she's in. Her husband died, number one. Number two, they're in a foreign land where the worship of God is much different. Moab, Moabites actually worship the god Chemosh, which is a very interesting depiction, uh, di interesting depictions of this god. So you have this woman, Naomi. She's in this foreign land without a husband, and the two males in her life die as well. No sons. And all she is left with are these two daughter-in-laws. Now, how many people love their in-laws? Raise your hand. Amen. There should be more people who love their in-laws. But I want you to pay attention to Naomi's situation. It doesn't look like a good situation. There are discouragements everywhere. Everywhere that Naomi looks, she just sees, she just sees pain and heartache. She decides one day she's going to go back to her own land. And so she tells her daughter something very interesting. She tells her daughters, hey, you go back to your own land, and you can go back to your own God. You can go back to your own people. Don't worry about me. I'm just going to be a, an exile. I'm just going to head back to my land and die there. Now watch what takes place in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, what's that next word? Clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to your people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi is just, she doesn't want to carry any more burdens, no more burdens of people being lost in her life. So she tells her daughters, hey, you go back to your own land, to your own people, to your own gods. Don't worry about me. I have nothing to give you. One of the daughters says, okay, I'll do that. She kisses her goodbye and takes off. Now watch what Ruth does. The Bible says Ruth 
clung to her. There was something unusual about Ruth. She's from a different uh, stock and breed of, of character. This woman is different. She decides to cling to Naomi. Now watch what she sees, says to Naomi. Verse 16. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. And wherever you go, I will what? Go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be what? My people and your God, my God. And wherever you die, I will die. There I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me, parts you and me. Ruth decides to, she makes a very interesting commitment to Naomi. She says, look, I'm going to stay with you no matter what. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. And she tells her this. In fact, you know what's very interesting? You see that Ruth is so committed that she actually uses a very interesting Hebrew word. It's the word that says, if you notice, it says, wherever you go, I will go. The same word go right there is the word used by God when he calls Abraham out of the, of the land of Ur of Chaldees to go follow him. God says, go forth out of this land. And so this woman, Ruth, is like a, 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 what you can say is a spiritual daughter of Abraham. She decides to leave her home, her family, her lifestyle, and she says, I'm going to follow Naomi. And the reason why is because Naomi was probably, to her, a beautiful picture of God. Can you say amen to that? You know, I have a Christian mom. Some of you guys had the chance and privilege of meeting her at camp meeting. Her name is Josie. She is probably one of the most godliest people I ever know. The Lord has blessed me with this woman. She is wise. She is older. She gives me experience. And she absolutely loves Jesus. And she is so balanced in her counsel. I praise God for that, right? I love my real mom. When I'm around Josie, I like being around this woman because she gives me so, so much interesting counsel. She's very honest with me about my problems. She'll tell me the way it is. This woman really cares for me. She prays for me. She has committed her life to me to pray for me. She has two other kids, three other kids. One of her kids is actually the one that brought me to the Lord. And when I'm around this woman, I sense something very special from God. I like being around her. In fact, when I was at camp meeting, all my friends got to meet her, and they all wanted to hang out with her. But you see, this is Ruth, Ruth's attraction to Naomi. She sees in her a picture of God, and she wants to be around her, and she feels this spiritual security being around Naomi. And she says, your God's going to be my God. Remember when I said she is a type of, you can say, Abraham's children? The same word that was used when God spoke to Abraham to come out of Babylon, this woman is using as well. Well, it's also interesting, 2 Chronicles also calls Abraham God's, what? Friend. The word Ruth means friend as well. And so we see something here. We are seeing a friend of God. She is absolutely committed to following Naomi. She doesn't care about what the future holds. This foreigner decides that she's going to be committed to this Israelite no matter what. You know, here's the thing. Sometimes you ask people a question. You'll say, well, uh, you know, where are you at spiritually? Or you give them a glow pamphlet or whatever, and they say, well, I'm a Christian. And that's sort of like stating a sort of stationary place. I'm this. But you see, the, the Christian journey was never meant to be sort of a stationary place. 
We are constantly called to seek after God like Abraham was called. Can you say amen to that? You say, well, I was born in the truth. No one's born in the truth. Every person here gets the call of Abraham to come out of self and to follow after God. Can you say amen to that? And folks, let me ask you a question. Are you seeking after God today? Are you seeking after him? Don't just tell me you're a Christian. I'm asking you a better question. Are you seeking, personally seeking after God? Are you following God's voice? And if you hear the voice of God, don't turn away from it because the Lord Jesus loves you. Amen? Well, let's continue with our story. We're going to see something very interesting. Go to verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. I promise you're going to see something beautiful. Now Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now watch the very next chapter, the very first part. We're going to see, now enter into our story, the superstar stud hero, okay? Now there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great what? Wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was what? Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight that I may find what? Favor. Now don't miss this, okay? The Bible now introduces a very interesting individual. His name is Boaz. And the Bible describes him as being one of the, uh, a very wealthy man. The Bible uses the word of great, exceedingly great wealth. This man was wealthy. He owned fields. And so what Ruth says, when they go back to that land, and all they don't have is probably just a little hut or a little tent, and they're staying in it, they don't have food, they don't have any man to work. Ruth says to Naomi, says, hey, let me go out to the fields, and let me go work, I'll go glean. Now, what's interesting about that is apparently Ruth knew something which kind of gives you an insight to her character. In the book of Leviticus chapter 19, God gave very special rules to the Israelites that whenever they had a field, that whenever they were to plant this field and then when it was harvest time, they were not to pick every single crop out of the field. They were actually supposed to leave some, the Bible says, for the poor. This was something that God actually says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. In fact, right after God says that commandment to the Israelites, he says, I am the Lord your God. In other words, God's saying, my stamp of approval is over this ordinance, that when you have a field, make sure you watch out for those who are less fortunate than you. You know what's also interesting, I'll just um, diverge for just a second, is that in the Old Testament, the Bible talks a lot about slavery. Now, what is very interesting about this is that when you study the topic of slavery, the word that's actually used in the Old Testament for slavery is not so much slavery, it's more like an indentured servant. In fact, what you will discover through the writings of Moses, out of all the writings I was listening to a scholar talk about this, that this is the oldest piece of sort of regulations regarding servants in all of antiquity. In other words, you won't find anything in history that talks about regulating or how to work with servants older than the writings of Moses. Why? Because actually, when you look at the writings of Moses, what God was, not, what God was trying to prevent was not, oh, just okay, well, you just do this and that with people. What God was actually trying to prevent was slavery. Now, you're thinking to yourself, wait a second. 
Are you just telling me that when we see sort of these ordinances and regulations regarding servants that God was actually trying to prevent slavery? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, when you look at sort of the history of many different countries and nations, people abuse slaves. They conquer a land, they take the people as slaves, rape the women, and they didn't care what happened to that family, completely abused them, tore them apart. But what you find in the Old Testament, God actually places regulations on that stuff. And he says, no, 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 you do not treat servants that way. In fact, there was a law in Leviticus that basically states every seventh year you're to release them. And so what you actually find in the book of Leviticus is not so much slavery, it was something God was trying to to stop from actually happening in Israel's culture where they would take on the nations who did practice slavery. God hates slavery. Can you say amen to that? But he was trying to guard it and not let the Israelites fall into the same trap all the other nations did. And so there were very special rules when it came to the poor in Israel's history. Whenever they would have a field and they would harvest the field, they were purposely supposed to leave a little bit behind. Ruth knows this. And she actually says to Naomi, let me go into the fields and glean. She was well aware of what Israelite culture taught, which tells you she was probably interested also in some of the writings of Moses as well. So she decides that she's going to go to this field, and whatever is left over, she's going to pick up the fragments, the pieces, and she's going to gather whatever she can and take it to her mom, because her mother-in-law, because she cared for her. Can you say amen to that? Let's see what happens. Very interesting. Look at verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. And then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to who? Boaz. Not accidental, but providential. Can you say amen to that? Who was part of the family of Elimelech. And now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. He gave a customary greeting. Now watch what the reapers say. And they answered, the Lord, what? Bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, who was in charge of his reapers, whose young woman is this? They can see all the reapers are done with the harvest, but apparently there's this poor, modest woman who's just gleaning in the field, picking up fragments, trying to gather whatever she can. And Boaz, in sort of his inspection of the, of the business, looks around and says, whose young woman is this? Watch what happens next. Very interesting better than any movie. Amen? Look at verse 6. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's the young Moabite woman from who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather the reapers after the sheaves. So she came and continued from the morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Now watch verse 8. It's very important. Don't miss this part because this is going to be very powerful. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my what? Daughter, will you not do not glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not, what? Commanded you. Apparently, Boaz takes sort of this protective charge over this woman, and he says, look, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you going into another field. I want you to stay in this field. Now, what's interesting is that the people told Boaz, this woman is from Moab. Don't forget that point. It's going to be a very powerful point I'm about to bring up. They actually told her, them, told Boaz, this woman is from Moab. Now watch what happens. Verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. 
Have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Look at verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes since, I, since you should take notice of me since I am a what? Foreigner. She states him, What are you doing this for? Why are you doing this for me? I'm a foreigner. I'm not like you people. Continue. Verse 11. Now Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your what? Husband, and how you have left, don't forget this next part, your father and your mother and the land of your what? Birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Now what's interesting, he begins to commend her because she left her land to follow this people. Now you're thinking to yourself, okay, what's the big deal? I want you to pay attention to how Boaz apparently seems drawn to this woman. Now you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe it's because she was a young, attractive, good-looking, modest, poor, but modest woman. That's why he was attracted to her. He actually reveals why he was attracted to her. He says to her, I want you to stay in this field. You don't want to go out into the field, because a different field, because these days there are people who will capture you in the field and do all sorts of things. If you don't believe me, read the book of Judges. You'll see the anarchy that was taking place there. But he apparently feels drawn to her and has this protection, wants to have this uh, protective sort of uh, feeling and just behavior towards her. And you're thinking to yourself, why? Why is he just drawn to her because of who she is? Her looks? Notice again, he says to her, because you have left your what? People, you have left your land. It blew me away when I discovered this. Do you know who Boaz's mom was? Rahab the harlot. Do you know that Rahab the harlot left her whole city to go follow after God. She actually lived in Israel. She left, remember the walls of Jericho, right? Her place was the only place that didn't go down. She, the Bible says in Joshua, she actually left her home, took her family, and lived in Israel. She heard about the God of Israel. She actually left everything, and she joined and attached herself to Israel. She married an Israelite. And you know who her son was? None other than this half Jew, Boaz. And so when Boaz hears about this apparent foreigner who's in Israel, he's immediately drawn to her because he probably thinks about who? His mom. And so he's drawn to her and he says, here, I want you to stay in this field. You're going to be protected here. Because in the back of his mind, he's sympathetic because he remembers how probably his own mom was living amongst a foreign people. Can you say amen to that? Boaz takes an interest in Ruth because she was probably a uh, sort of a representation of his own mother Rahab who left everything and lived amongst the Israelites. Let's keep going. Look at verse 12. Boaz continues in this sort of, sort of uh, mysterious conversation he's ha uh, having with Ruth. She's probably wondering to herself, why is he so interested in me? Look at verse 12. Watch what Boaz says to her. The Lord repay your what? Your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, who, under whose, what's that next word? Wings. By the way, that word means in Hebrew to actually spread out the garment. So in other words, what, what Boaz is saying, he's saying God bless you and give you a reward because you have come under his garment. Let's keep going. Who you have come for refuge. Who you have come before refuge. 
So what Ruth does, day after day, she goes into the field of Boaz, and she starts telling her mother-in-law, hey, look at all that I'm getting. I'm getting all this crop, all this stuff. And Naomi starts scratching her head and says, whoa, what's going on with this woman? Where is she getting this stuff? And so she tells her mother-in-law, she says, well, the man's name is Boaz. And immediately everything clicks for Naomi. She thinks to herself, well, wow, whoa, whoa. God has a plan, Amen. This single young, single hunk here who owns all these fields, and my daughter-in-law. So she says something very interesting to Ruth. She's like, Ruth, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to actually find you, she uses the word security, Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to find you security, and I want you to do something very special. Now, Ruth is not very accustomed to sort of the tradition. She was aware of some of the laws, but some of the traditions. And she says to her, Ruth, this is what I want you to do. In the middle of the night, Boaz is going to be sleeping right here. He's going to be sleeping at a certain spot. I want you to lay down at his feet. I want you to take his shoes off and just wait there. Now watch what Ruth's um, sort of reply is. Ruth chapter 3, starting with verse 5. And she said to her, all that you say to me, what? I will do. I can imagine Ruth at this point, moment was probably like, okay. And, but she carries out her mother-in-law's wishes. This is very important. I'm, trust me, you guys, we're going to be leading to something. You may think to yourself, okay, where are we going? Just pay attention. You're going to see what's going to happen. So they go over there. She ends up doing that, okay? Now, this is funny because you wouldn't think this is the best way to get a husband, single people. You know, sitting down at somebody's feet and taking off their shoes and just there, just wait there. You know, so funny, I was talking to some of my friends at Weimar College. You know, college students, just foolish all the time. We're like, we wanted to impress some, you know, some of the ladies there, very godly ladies there. And uh, what we would do is, I'm going to stop laughing. Okay, what we would do is we would uh, go to the breakfast, you know, to the cafeteria during breakfast time, and we'd take like a spirit of prophecy book like Adventist Home. Child Guidance, Letters to Young Lovers. And what we do is we'd be eating and we just put the book up like this. Now that's the type of man I want to marry. <laughs> Obviously it didn't work. <laughs> At least not for me. <laughs> but anyways, okay, this is very important. I want you to see what's happening here, okay? Ruth is simply doing something that was of her culture, the traditions, okay? So she lays down at the feet of Boaz, takes off his shoes and probably just laying there in utter fear. Okay? Now watch what happens when Boaz wakes up. It's very interesting, okay? Look what happened. Look at verse 8, chapter 3. Now it happened at midnight that the man was, what's that next word? Startled. Actually, I looked at the Hebrew. It's actually, he was full of anxiety. And turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered and said, I am Ruth, your what? Maidservant. Now pay attention to these words because they're going to be so important. Take your maidservant under your, what? Wing. Now we heard that phrase before. Where do we hear that phrase before? Where do we hear that phrase, wing? A little bit louder, I can't hear everybody. Where do we hear that phrase, wing? Boaz, when he spoke to who? Ruth. The first time he speaks to Ruth and he says, look, God's going to give you a reward because you have come underneath his wing, underneath his garment. Ruth, what she does, she repeats Boaz's statement and she says, take me underneath your garment or your wing of protection. Let's keep going. For you are a close, what's that next word? 
relative. You are close what? Relative. Now in the Old Testament uh, laws, the Levitical laws, they had something that was also implanted by God to take care of that society. That when a woman lost her husband, I think it's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, it was the uh, uh, sort of duty of the nearest relative to marry this person, to marry this woman and to take care of her. This was the duty. They were called the kinsmen or the redeemer because they could not have these widows who were just by themselves and had no means of taking care of themselves and having a family and raising them up without stable support in Israel's uh, culture during that time. So God made sure that even these women would be taken care of. And it was the responsibility of the closest relative to marry this widow and take care of her and her family. And sure enough, Ruth quotes that same phrase from Leviticus and she says, uh, you are my redeemer. The relative, it's the same word. You are my redeemer. Trust me, you're going to see something very interesting. Let's keep going. Verse 10. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord my what? Daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a what? Virtuous woman. And by the way, there's only one other place where virtuous woman is mentioned, and that's Proverbs chapter what? 31. So if you wanted to see what a Proverbs chapter 31 woman was, you go to the story of who? Ruth. She's the only woman in all of Scripture that's called virtuous. You know why? Because Proverbs chapter 31, in talking about a virtuous woman, says she takes care of her household. And so Boaz here calls this woman a virtuous woman. And I appreciate what Nate said about how there, we just praise the Lord for all these men here. But folks, listen to me. God calls us to have virtuous women also. Amen? In fact, let's look at Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Look at verse 10. 31 verse 10, page 636. Who can find a what? Boaz did, apparently. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above what? Rubies. It doesn't matter how much money she has. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her. Remember what Boaz said? You didn't go after the young man, nor did you go after the rich people. Let's keep going. For he will have no lack of gain, and she does good and not evil all the days of her life. Now skip up all the way to verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for her whole household is clothed with what? Scarlet. And by the way, who let down a scarlet line to save their whole family? Rahab, who would have been her uh, mother-in-law again. So, her other mother-in-law. Okay, let's keep going. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies sashes for her merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She rejoices in time to come. Now skip all the way to verse 29. That's key right here. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is what? Passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall what? Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own, what's that next word? Works, praise her in the gates. Folks, let me ask you a question. How did Boaz find out about Ruth being a virtuous woman? 
because all the servants were coming back and reporting to him what this woman was doing. Folks, when we're looking at Proverbs chapter 31, we're seeing Ruth here. She was a woman whose works went ahead of her. She wasn't so much concerned with just her looks alone, although I believe looks are important. She wasn't just concerned with just charm and wit. But folks, she was a woman who feared God. Can you say amen to that? And that's why the Bible says this, a type of woman like this, she should be praised. Folks, let me ask the women a question. Are you somebody who fears the Lord and loves him? Should have been more amen to that. I love my church. I tell people that all the time. I love my church. The good people here. Women, do you love the Lord and do you fear God? Amen. You're virtuous women. You're virtuous women. And this was the same thing that was placed, this title was given to Ruth. Out of all the scriptures, she's given the honor of being the only virtuous woman who's actually labeled as being virtuous out of all the scripture. And God calls you to be his virtuous woman. Can you say amen to that? Let's keep going. We're coming right down to this. Coming right down. Verse 12. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he performs the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until the morning. I can imagine that brother probably didn't sleep that night either. Then she goes back. Ruth goes all the way back. She tells Naomi about what took place. Watch what Naomi says to Ruth, who's probably now super excited that she's about to be married. Verse, verse 16. She came to her mother-in-law and says, Is that you, my daughter? She told her about all the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. He sent her a dowry. Verse 18. She said, Sit still, my daughter-in-law. Why do you think she told her to sit still? She's probably bouncing up and down. She's about to get married. And so what Naomi has to tell her is like, sit still, just relax. Relax, be still. Folks, when you commit a case to God, God is working on it, amen? You need not worry. The Bible says, be anxious about nothing but by prayer and supplication. What's that next phrase? With what? Thanksgiving. We're really good about praying, amen? We're really good about supplicating the Lord, to the Lord, but we're not good about giving thanksgiving to God. We would have more peace in our lives if we spent more time thanking God instead of having to go over the same prayer over and over again. Folks, do you think God is deaf? God can hear your prayers, and he does, amen? And he heard you the first time you prayed. But after you prayed, the next step is you need to thank God that he's working on your case. Can you say amen to that? Let's continue with the rest of that. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Boaz does something very special. He goes before the elders of the gates. He goes to that closer kinsman, the Redeemer, and he says, all right, there is this woman here. She sold the land. She has a daughter-in-law. You have the right to take her. The man says, I'll take the land, but I don't want to take the woman. And Boaz, probably just smiling because now he gets to have Ruth, he says, all right, I'll take her. Takes out his shoe, hands it to him, and there was that deal that was done. And sure enough, Boaz ends up getting this beautiful woman. Can you say amen to that? Now, this is where I really want to bring it home, okay? This is where I really want to bring it home. Go back to Luke chapter, or Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. This is when Boaz first encounters Ruth, 
And remember what I said to you, Boaz was a very wealthy man and Ruth was a foreigner. She was a what? Foreigner. Look at verse 12. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose, what's that next word? Wings that you have come for refuge. Folks, God was saying through Boaz, you have come under the Lord's help. You are underneath his wings. You are getting safety. Because remember what Boaz said to her? You don't want to be out in the fields because there are bad people out there. Right? He's warning her and says, from now on, you're going to be protected by me. Now go all the way to verse, chapter 3, verse 8. And now it happened at midnight, the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, who are you? He gets freaked out, because this woman is laying at his feet, takes off his shoes. She answered and said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close, what? Relative. Do you know What's very interesting about this phrase, wing, and bringing the garment underneath, it was a covering. That phrase is found also in Psalms 91, where God is talking about how there are going to be plagues all around you. But if you're under the shadow of his wing, you're going to be protected. It was a covering. Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 16. I want you to see something. Now, when the plagues are falling down and the world is being utterly destroyed, while there's chaos over here, chaos over here, while there's a war zone over here, God slips in a very special promise in the midst of the plagues. It's written in red, so you know it's the words of Jesus. For his people during that time, a very special promise found in Revelation chapter 16. Look at verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl, we're in the middle of the plagues, or towards the end, of the great river Euphrates, and the water dried up, and the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirit of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth, of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now verse, watch verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watch and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his what? Shame. What you see in Revelation chapter 16 is God's promise to his people that when the plagues are happening, to stay underneath the covering of God. Folks, this church, these walls are not going to save us. Amen? These walls are not going to save anybody. Being in that pew is not going to save anybody. Only those who are underneath the wings of Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus spoke to the Israelites? Matthew chapter 23. He told the Pharisees, told the Jews, I'd love to gather you as a, as a chicken, as a chick, and bring you underneath my what? Wings. But they refused to do it. And what was the result? Jerusalem was destroyed. Folks, unless we are under the wings of Christ, unless we are underneath that garment, the covering that he has provided for us, there is no safety for anybody. There is no safety. And God is inviting you today to come underneath that garment. The story of Ruth is a picture of God's people. Foreigners. Foreigners who come to the wealthiest man 
in the universe, Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 16 says, when I saw you, you were naked and I covered you with my wings. It's a picture, a story of Christ and his people. A story of Christ and his people. Folks, are you underneath the wings of Christ today? Are you hiding in the very shadow of his presence today? I want to invite you, if you're not, please come to Christ. Don't delay. Hide yourself under him. Be protected by him and his grace. He pours it out to every person. Amen? I want to end with this story. There's a book by Dr. Ron Walker. And he writes about, in this book, Choosing God's Best. And it was a book about preparing for marriage. I normally don't read books like that. But uh, he describes how one day he was doing a seminar called Choosing God's Best. And he said this woman came to him. And this woman said, you know, doctor, I have been praying. I have been praying that God would provide a husband for me. That he would take care of me. And send somebody. And he says, she's told him that for months I was praying and God wouldn't answer my prayer. And finally, in the depth of my loneliness, I cried out to God. I said, Lord, don't you care for me? Why won't you send a husband to me? I have been waiting all these months. The woman told the doctor, but then the still, small voice came to me from God. I understand my daughter. I have been waiting for my bride for 2,000 years. God is waiting for you. Amen? He's waiting for his people to come underneath his protection and his grace. He provides it abundantly. Whatever the sin, whatever the weakness, whatever the circumstance, whatever the struggle, God invites you underneath his wings to find grace and help this time of need. How many people, by the raising of hand, says, Lord, that's me. I want to come underneath your wings today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I just thank you that the story of Ruth is every person's story today. Lord, you are our God and our King and our kinsman, our Redeemer, you said, I am the Lord your God who redeems you. You have redeemed us from this world, Jesus. Lord, let us come underneath your wings. Like it says in Malachi, Lord, the son of righteousness who will rise with healing in his wings. Let us find grace, Lord, underneath your wings. I just pray for every person here, God, for those who are wondering, Lord, if you love them, remind them, God, how much you do. You've already given the, the redemption cost to them 2,000 years ago. Call them, Lord. Let them hear your voice and find shelter there. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.